Good morning, Booker Tov. Buenos dias. This is Shanna Fold here with the Israel Daily News Podcast. I'm here to give you the headlines so you can get caught up quickly. You're listening, so you're already on top of your game. Survive and thrive, people. Knowledge is the best weapon. Today is Wednesday, June 30th, 2021 in the Gregorian calendar. And the 20th of Tammuz, 5781 in the Hebrew calendar. I received a couple of story suggestions to investigate today specifically. And you know who you are. So if you hear your story, send me a direct message on Instagram or email. And if I don't get to your story suggestion today, check back tomorrow or next week. Now, let's get to the news. Okay, we have an update in the Eviatar story, the West Bank outpost that some Jewish settlers created and Palestinians protested and is now being transformed from a small living community to a yeshiva and a military post. Whose land is it anyway? Classic question in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and someone actually sent me a direct message asking me who was in the land of Israel first. Well, this caused me to call up my tour guide historian friend, Ari Pulver, and get a fully loaded answer. I'm telling you a whole historical answer, and I'm going to try to break it down for you. So before I get to Eviatar, I think I'll give a quick summary of what I've learned today. Jews have lived in this region of the area for more than 3,800 years, and 3,100 years of those have archaeological evidence to back it up. There's a family that lives in a town called Pikin in the north of Israel. They speak a Hebrew dialect from ancient times because they never left their city, even during the various conquests, especially the most vast one, which was the Roman conquest that pushed Jews out of the city and brought Hebrews to what's now today Italy in chains as slaves. Now, this city of Pikin was Jewish, then Muslim, then Christian, then mixed. It's Druze. It's been everything. But one Jewish family never left, and their descendants have been in that same home for 2,000 years. Arabs who live in this area today did not arrive until the 7th century with Omar, who conquered Jerusalem in 638 Common Era during the Golden Age of Islam, right after Muhammad the prophet passes away. Okay, Jews are living here all the while. Then, in order to save time, I'm going to fast forward now from this part of history to the 19th century, when Arabs begin to emigrate to the area heavily from surrounding countries, especially what is today considered Lebanon. Now, around this same time, Jews are arriving to Israel in what is considered the first Aliyah. Jews begin returning to the land of Israel. Many of them are wealthy. They come with the intention of rebuilding the area, throwing up buildings and stores. At this time, many Jewish developers are hiring Arabs to do construction work, and this also contributes to the inpouring of Arabs to this area. In 1948, the state of Israel is born after Jews and Arabs were not happy about British occupation. In 1947, Jews are on two buses that get ambushed by Arabs. A civil war between Arabs and Jews in the area breaks out. A UN partition is created allocating some parts of the area for Jews and some parts for Arabs. This is in 1947. Then in 1948, forces from Egypt, Transjordan, Syria, and expeditionary forces from Iraq enter Palestine. The Jews assemble and fight them. 
They win the War of Independence, and Israel is declared. Now, here's a part that gets a little tricky. It is called the Green Line. The Green Line was drawn up as a temporary demarcation of land, and so some people will say these areas, like the West Bank, which is where the Eviatar Post is, East Jerusalem, the Golan Heights, Gaza, and the Sinai Peninsula, were and all still are disputed land. A war was fought with Syria over the Golan Heights, which Israel claimed victory, and now the Golan Heights is recognized at least by the United States to be a part of Israel. Israel handed the Sinai Peninsula over to Egypt and withdrew from Gaza in 2005. So that leaves us with today's most pressing issues, East Jerusalem and the West Bank. Now let's go back to Eviatar. Do you understand why it's important? Palestinians see the West Bank as their land, and they hope for it to be part of their future Palestinian state, although many have expressed that they want all of the land. If you've ever heard the chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, that means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, meaning removing Jews from all of these areas and dismantling Israel because Israel lay between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. So, Jewish settlers who would like to see Israel divided according to how the Bible describes it wants to see the West Bank be Jewish and for Jews to live and inhabit that area. Settlers, as they are called, are Jewish people who take it upon themselves to set up civilization, towns, centers, offices in the West Bank. Some do it for ideological reasons because they believe in Judea and Samaria, which is the Jewish version of the West Bank. So if you're a more secular person, you might call it the West Bank, the area west of the Jordan River, or you might call it Judea and Samaria, which is what a lot of right-wing Jews call it. This is where the Jewish people actually originate from and are meant to reside in, according to the Bible. It's an open, more spacious land. It's cheaper to live there, and many Jewish families go to live in Jewish settlements and Jewish cities in the West Bank because they see it as a better quality of life than raising a family in, say, Jerusalem, where it's much more congested and much more expensive. Today, there is a small beginning of a settlement called Eviatar. 50 families currently live there. They built it up themselves, and the Israeli government has declared it illegal. The settlement is very close to other Palestinian villages, including one called Beta. Residents from these villages have been protesting it heavily. Ultimately, the Israeli government says that they have an agreement in place. This came out yesterday. All families have to leave Eviatar by this weekend. But the buildings can remain as a yeshiva, or what we would call in English a Jewish school. According to Haaretz, the families have agreed to the new arrangement. The arrangement, however, is not final. The government says the land needs to be reviewed and checked by the Samaria Regional Council because Palestinians claim that they privately own this land and that Jews are building on their property. Government officials are getting slack from critics for supporting this in any way, and Interior Minister Ayelet Shaked says she's proud of the settlers for being pioneers. Now, I'd love to hear what your thoughts on this story are. Send us a message. Video is surfacing of home demolitions in the neighborhood of Silwan in East Jerusalem, and it's causing a major stir, especially on social media. Palestinians defending the construction were protesting, throwing rocks and being violent with police officers. Israeli police showed up to put a stop to the protesting, and then clashes ensued between the local residents and the authorities. The Israeli authorities say the buildings that they are destroying were built illegally without a permit, permit and on public land. 
Palestinians in general say that they request permits but are not granted them and therefore have no choice but to go ahead and build. The Jerusalem police say three Palestinian residents were hurt and two police officers were hurt during this demolition. A former Jerusalem municipality official tells the Times of Israel that Palestinian residents in the neighborhood have rejected numerous offers from the city to to make compromises that would have left most of the buildings in place, but that the Palestinians rejected those compromises each and every time. Palestinians say that they've submitted every form to the government, but none of their bureaucracy is being pushed through or accepted. The first to go down is a barber shop that has been in business since 2010, and 17 more illegally built structures are supposed to be demolished, with 80 homes being fought over in a legal court right now about whether or not they're going to be torn down. Now we have a message from My Jewish Listings, which is the only one-stop shop to find Jewish businesses, kosher restaurants, and kosher travel destinations. You can use their simple search feature to look up anything from clothing stores to lawyers to kosher restaurants all over the world. With thousands of Jewish-owned businesses and tons of reviews, you can find the best places that fit whatever you're looking for. My Jewish Listings supports local businesses by posting their discounts and promotions. Visit MyJewishListings.com to find a Jewish-owned business near you. My Jewish Listings is just breaking into the Israeli marketplace so you can say that you heard it here first on the Israel Daily News podcast. All right, let's see how much of an Israel Daily News podcaster you really are, okay? You would have had to be listening with me for a long time to remember this story. Do you recall Israel put forward this wildly progressive legislation to punish only those who solicit prostitutes instead of arresting prostitutes themselves? Well, this law has been in effect for six months so far, and Haaretz reports that only 12 reports have actually been filed. 12 fines have actually been filed. Police apparently warned that it would be difficult to nab people who pay for prostitution. Apparently, the department is low on resources for this, and they say even when they were cracking down on prostitutes themselves, it was difficult to indict offenders in this arena in recent years. The law was supposed to come into effect last July, so just about a year ago, but it was pushed off until late December 2020. The idea was to help women get resources, but advocacy groups say the budget is there, but the programs are still not developed and still not in place to help women who are wanting and needing to get out of being sex trafficked. Those who solicit prostitutes will have to pay 2,000 shekels, which is around $614, and repeat offenders will pay 4,000 shekels. Prostitutes in Israel are no longer at risk of being arrested. The high concentration of sex workers in the country exists between Jerusalem and a lot. These are the two hotspots. If you are getting caught up on your Israel Daily News, send over a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash Israel Daily News slash support. Subscribers will get a handwritten thank you note to let you know how thrilled we are to have your support. And I've been writing little poems in, so you'll get a handwritten poem from me. Thank you so much for your interest in being up to date on Israeli affairs. Israeli politics are world politics. And today I got a note from Janelle Joseph. The subject line said, got your card with all exclamation points. She said that she was so excited to get my note in her mailbox and that she loved it. She thanked me for the thank you. Thank you, Janelle, for thanking me for thanking you. Okay. 
We have one central link in the show notes. You can click on that and it'll take you to the page where you too can make a contribution and feel good knowing that you are supporting independent journalism. You can also support us by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Two, you can share the show with a friend. And three, you can follow us on social media at IsraelDaily.News as well as Shanna Fold. My name has two N's in it and I'm very sensitive about that. The ceasefire between Israel and Hamas has kept things quiet between the two governing forces in the region, but Arab-Israeli business owners say it has not restored business to their shops. Israeli-Arab communities northeast of Tel Aviv say since April, their revenues are way down as Jews don't trust their services and fear physical violence. In places where Arabs and Jews used to shop together, it has been scarcer. And whole communities that used to see Jewish shoppers by day are staying out of these communities and villages completely. Contractors are also reporting that they haven't gotten work in Jewish homes and many Jews have asked them not to come back to finish construction jobs out of fear of violence. A vote on extending the Palestinian family reunification law was delayed after the coalition failed to secure a majority. Instead of being brought to the Knesset on Wednesday, the vote is now scheduled for Monday, July 5th. The coalition seeks to change a law in order to allow Palestinians who marry Israelis to automatically receive citizenship. The current law, which was enacted in 2003, forces Israelis to make a special request for citizenship for their non-citizen spouse. Every year since 2003, the Knesset has voted to renew this law, usually with strong backing from right-wing parties like Likud, who say that giving Palestinian citizenship is bad because terror groups could abuse it by accessing Israel and carrying out terror activities on Israeli land. Now, this, is, this law, for the most part, applies to Arab Israelis who want to marry with Palestinians who are not living in Israel proper. Maybe they come from Gaza. Maybe they come from the West Bank. The new government hopes to come to a solution before the vote on July 5th. Bahrain finally has its first ambassador to Israel, as monarch Hamad bin Isa al-Khalifa made an official appointment following last year's normalization agreement between the two countries. Khaled Yusuf al-Jalama will serve as Bahrain's first envoy to the state of Israel, a decision supported by Israel's foreign ministry. Bahrain and Israel signed a normalization agreement back in September as part of the historic Abraham Accords. This was a U.S.-led initiative to normalize relations between Israel and its Arab neighbors. The United Arab Emirates, Morocco, and Sudan also joined the accords in in addition to the Kingdom of Bahrain. The ambassador's appointment was announced after Israeli Foreign Minister and future Prime Minister Yair Lapid met with his Bahraini counterpart, Abdul Latif al-Zayani, in Rome on Sunday for the first meeting between the two countries under the new government. All right, well, that is it for today's show. Today is Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. Tel Aviv has a low of 24 degrees Celsius and a high of 31 degrees. That's 75 degrees Fahrenheit for the low, going up to 88 degrees for the high. Subscribe to the Israel Daily News Podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever 
You're hearing it from. We are everywhere. Don't forget to sign up to our Israel Weekly News Wrap. It's a newsletter with the top five stories coming out of Israel from throughout the week. Thank you to Brandon Karp and Sophia Jay for today's political stories. Thank you to Farrah Fold, who's with our team as a business development intern for the summer, and Michelle Milner for her social media work. I'll send you off with Cherry Beam by Erica Kroll. She's a talented Israeli DJ, and I just got the pleasure of meeting her for the first time in person at my Sunset Series happy hour, which happened on Monday, and it will be happening again this Monday. Have a great and productive day. Thank you.